So why are acts of services important and how can one perform those? Um, there are three kinds of karma. Uh, Samshita is over and done with. Brutman is presently occurring. Prarabdha, our actions commenced in the past which will come to fruition in the future. And then there's a fourth kind called Nityakarma. And that is eternal. So the eternal karma is karma yoga because it's it has no time. There's yoga. There's a completion of perfection of union. And we lose all track of time. So there are seven kinds of karma yoga. It's called Siddhartha Achara. And the seven kinds are puja, pot, reciting scriptures, doing worship, homa, the sacred fire ceremony, sangeet, singing, nrit, dancing, telling the stories of God in dance, pravachan, what we're doing right now, explaining what it means and why we're doing it and how does it work, and artwork acts of service. And that's why we do acts of service. And that's how we do acts of service. There's a difference between work, seva, and yoga, karma yoga. Work, we do something in exchange so that we get what we want. I will do for you if you will do for me. Yeah, consideration. Yes. And seva, it's a privilege for me to show you how much I love you and how much I respect you by doing what I'm going to do. But karma yoga, I'm not there. I lose all track of time. I have no other feeling, other, no other thought than the action that I can perform an action is being performed through me. Okay. So these are the different kinds of karma. Mm. Uh, and we want to do enough work so that we earn the privilege to do seva. And we want to do enough seva so we earn the privilege to enter into karma yoga. There's a distinction between them. So the second question that we got is, what is the purpose of a sadhu's life? And what does a society expect from them to contribute? Well, in Bengali we say, So as many as there are individuals proceeding, so many are the ways that we manifest divinity. And so many are the, the goals that we set for ourselves, or the purpose, the way we define the purpose of our lives. Mm -hmm. But I would suggest that sadhu means efficient. And if you do what you do efficiently, you don't have to do it again. You, you did it once, and it's done. And it's done efficiently, and you achieve your goal, and you manifest perfection through the action. Mm -hmm. And thereby, you gain liberation through action, rather than liberation from action. 
We're not seeking to be free from action. We're free through action. By doing the actions efficiently, paying attention to what we're doing, we achieve that state of karma yoga. Now, the purpose of a sadhu's life is to perform sadhana. And sadhana is the discipline through which we enter into yoga. The karma through which we enter into yoga. Now, society will expect or want from sadhus many, many different things according to the circumstances of each and every individual. So it's difficult to generalize what does society expect from a sadhu. Hopefully, if a sadhu is efficient, they will expect an example of efficiency in every action. What are your views on animal sacrifice? So the question that came is, I have seen people worship Kali and has to sacrifice animals. What is the meaning of that and how do they know that the soul is for Kali and not some other entity which exists before humans? Actually, the meaning of the animal sacrifice was the sacrifice of my animalistic nature. Okay. There are three natures in every human being. Pashubhav, Biryabhav, Divyabhav. Pashubhav is my animalistic nature, which I respond from my lower chakras, eating, sleeping, mating, mm -hmm. uh, responding to the calls of nature according to my nature. Viryabhav mm -hmm. is it striving to improve myself and to become something better. Vidyabhav means manifesting divinity through every activity. So now, the purpose of the animal sacrifice was for me to sacrifice my animalistic nature. Now, it became more conceptually, it was easier to sacrifice another's life mm -hmm. than to sacrifice my own. Yeah. <laughs> to change my own nature requires a concerted effort Whereas it was much more efficient to cut the, the lifespan of another individual. But that was not the meaning of the animal sacrifice. The meaning was to change myself, to control my animalistic nature so that I'm no longer only responding from action and reaction. I'm no longer responding as an animal from my lower chakras, but I raise my my vision, I raise my perspective, I raise my capacity so that I can respond from a virya. I'm a hero, I'm a warrior, I'm striving to combat those animalistic tendencies until I become deep divine. The next question that we got is, have you come across someone who says, I am I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual? And when asked about the difference, I really couldn't comprehend the answer. All I understood is that they don't like idol worshipping, but believe in energy. 
Is it really different or are they both members of the same boat? Religion, actually the, in English it comes from the Latin religare, to rely upon. Okay. Yes. Okay. And the reliance upon a set of principles divides us mm -hmm. from other individuals. So we automatically have, if I have my sense of religion, mm -hmm. everyone has their own sense of religion. Good. Whereas spiritual is universal. And we all uh, as ascribe to the, the same principles of spirituality. Mm -hmm. In the, no matter what religion you, su you subscribe to. Yeah. Yeah. And you could be uh, a, any, a member of any organized religion and not be spiritual. True, right? You could be sectarian. Mm -hmm and be a member of an organized religion. True. And say, we are the chosen people, mm -hmm. or our, our ideals are correct, mm -hmm. and others are wrong. Whereas spiritual has a principle which uh, applies to everyone, mm -hmm. and in every circumstance. So I would make that distinction. Mm -hmm. It's possible to be spiritual without necessarily subscribing to any particular faith of religion. It's also possible to be religious mm -hmm. without being spiritual. <laughs> yeah. Next question is, importance of location of sadhana. When, I, when we plant a new sapling, a new tree, we put a barrier or fence around it to protect it from the animals that will come to, a goat may come to nibble on it, <laughs> or a cow may step on it. Uh, so if we put a little bit of protection around it, that tree, uh, that sapling can grow into a tree. And when it sinks its roots deeply, you can tie your elephant to it and never have a second thought. Yeah. If we perform sadhana, our spiritual discipline, in, an, in a location where others have performed their spiritual discipline, then the chances are that I am doing the same thing that was done in the past, mm -hmm. in the same way, in the same location, mm -hmm. with the same feeling, with the same bhavana. And I feel myself entitled to the same fruits. Wow. And so it enhances. Now, when we are fixed in our sadhana, mm -hmm. and we no longer need the protection of the fence, mm -hmm. uh, we sink our roots deeply. We could sit in any living room. We could sit on the bank of the river. Okay. We could sit in the railway station <laughs> and do our sadhana and still achieve the same depth of uh, understanding, the same realization, the same spiritual experience. Mm. Very beautifully said. Next question that we got is, uh, got is why do some sadhus consume wheat? Does it 
mean that when they say what they say can just be a reaction of the drugs that they are consuming. There was a reference to the consumption of soma uh -huh. in the Vedas. Yeah. Yes. And the, the somras is really the nectar of devotion. When we are consuming the nectar of devotion, we become effervescent, we become effulgent, we become alive with the, 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 the nectar of devotion. It, it just brings us to a point of focus. Mm -hmm. You only pay attention to the things that you love. Mm -hmm. And if you are devoted, mm -hmm. you're totally in love. So then you get to enhance the quality of the attention that you pay. Okay. Okay. Now, this was the prescription that was given to us by the rishis. Oh. Uh, in modern day, it became uh, sadhus take intoxicants for the same reason anyone else does, okay. to become intoxicated, <laughs> okay. so that they forget the world. So they forget their bodies. They forget. It's different to take intoxication in order to forget than it is to take the nectar of devotion in order to remember. There's a big difference. And each of us will make our decision ourselves, our choice. Which do we want to consume? Do we want to become intoxicated to forget what we don't want to remember, or do we want to become inspired to remember that which we want to focus on? Oh, that's your definition of what is an intoxicant, or what is weed, or what is somras, or what is any other object if it's separate from you, if it's apart from you, if it's external then it's, uh, it's, it's not the same as the devotion that comes from within. within. The next question is, what is the importance of demigods? Our villages offer prayers to demigods. Do you think praying them is more effective than praying the gods that we know? Um, there's only one God. And demigods, or semigods, or almost gods, or close to gods, uh, there are just different aspects of the one God. Okay. Uh, Kal means darkness. Mm -hmm. Kali takes away the darkness. That's why she's dark. Gori illuminates the light. Mm -hmm. Now, are these demigods, or are they different from each other? They are manifestations of the one supreme truth. I either give up my darkness or I illuminate my light. Mm -hmm. The reason we pray to demigods is because we love God. <laughs> and we want to come closer to God, so we're coming closer to the aspects of God. Okay. Each of these semi-gods, demigods, <laughs> almost gods, mm -hmm. near to gods, they're all links in the chain that bring us to God. So it's not different from worshiping in any other way.
We're just worshiping. And worshiping is fun just in itself. <laughs> Next question is, are ghosts or spirits real? Can we harness their energy through black magic? Hmm. Well, let's talk about magic first. Because magic is something that I can't explain. <laughs> uh, it's probably... Um, illusion? Uh, no, it's, it's not quite an illusion. Mm -hmm. it's, it's something that uh, has no physical manifestation. I can't tell you how it works. Mm -hmm. It's magic. <laughs> I can't tell you what it feels like to be in love. Mm -hmm. It's magic. It's, it just it takes over my being. Mm -hmm. Now, ghosts and spirits are incorporeal beings. They're spiritual. Mm -hmm. Spiritual energies. Let's call them spiritual energies instead of ghosts or demons <laughs> or whatever. They're spiritual energies. And does spiritual energy exist? I would have to say yes. In my experience, that's how I became a sadhu. I had experiences of spiritual energies. And those spiritual energies brought me closer to my goal. So all of these spiritual energies mm -hmm. can be harvested, not by black magic, <laughs> but it's magical because it's metaphysical. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to, to define what is beyond the physical. It's, you have to experience it. Mm -hmm. And then you'll understand, how does it feel to be in love? You can't explain it. Mm -hmm. Or how sweet is the sugar? <laughs> yeah, the percentage. Yes. Next question is, I think it is related to this question only. Who is a tantric and why do they harm people by doing crafty magic? Oh. Mm. Uh, tantra means to weave. Mm -hmm. Like the warp and the woof of a cloth. You weave the threads together. It means to synthesize. It means to put together all the disciplines that we've learned. And Tantra doesn't mean to harm people. We don't weave together a tapestry to harm people. We weave together to clothe them, uh, to improve their lives. Uh, uh, so we synthesize all of our knowledge. When we study Sanskrit, we study Vyakaran, uh, grammar, Ucharan, pronunciation, mm -hmm. Darshan Shastra, uh, 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 the, uh, philosophy, Jyotish, when to do which puja, for what purpose, mm -hmm. Pravilti. We weave together asan, pranayam, mudras, kriyas, various all the disciplines that we learn in sadhana, we weave them all together to make our puja kabuti. Mm -hmm. That's what tantra means. Uh, and it's not to hurt other people. Mm -hmm. Now, some people are motivated by worldly gain, and they say, I will change your karma 
by my actions mm -hmm. in exchange for please <laughs> give me something and uh, this is has become something called tantra I will harm other people, I'll destroy your energies and clear your path so that you can achieve what you want to achieve because of my, my capacity, my talent, my skill in propitiating the gods. We think this is foolishness. This has nothing to do with religion and it has nothing to do with spiritual. This is just plain business. Their choice. Their choice. Next question is, does it mean insulting my own religion if I choose to practice another? No. No. In fact, the, the, the more we learn about other religions, the greater and the deeper is the understanding that we cultivate of our own religion. Uh, it is... It is never an insult mm -hmm. to learn. It is never an insult to learn. It is the highest respect, the greatest respect I can show to my grammar school teacher is to pass high school. And the greatest respect I can show to my high school teacher is to graduate from college. And the greatest respect I can show to my religion is to learn about other people's religions and get greater insight into my own religion. Wow. Beautiful. It is beautiful. It doesn't mean I'm abandoning my religion. I'm insulting my religion. I am respecting it and understanding it and going deeper and deeper and seeing how my religion is one with all other religions too. And how can we harmonize and unify all the religious people of the universe and become spiritual? Universal. Universal. Next question is very interesting and I think it will, uh, the youth of today will relate to it the most. It says, how can I have the ideal relationship and how to deal with breakups um, and your ideas on cheating, hookups, friends with benefits, relationships these days. Are these not setting wrong morals in the society where everybody is becoming sex driven and the essence of love and worshipping God is getting lost? <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> I believe the objective is not to find the perfect partner. The objective is to become the perfect partner. Mm -hmm. Only when we become and make ourselves into the perfect partner do we become worthy of finding a partner who's worthy of us. Mm -hmm. So the ideal of a relationship was set by Shiva and Shakti. And they had a perfect relationship in equality. They were perfect partners. And they both joined together in order to continually reinforce and inspire the divinity within each other. And that's why she became Shiva, because he accepted Parvati as his equal partner. 
And he had the, the energy of the universe propelling him to his greatness. And Shakti became the energy of the universe because she was filled with the knowledge that infinite consciousness is with me. And together, consciousness and nature, we will bring about the perfect relationship, the perfect union. And I believe that every relationship is seeking the same security, the same dynamic, where I have a constant reminder, no matter where I go in life, there's going to be somebody who says that I didn't give enough, that they want more. But when I come home to my Shakti, she's going to accept me and revere me just for who I am. And if I can do the same for her, we enter into a relationship of perfection. And that is the, the true essence of the relationship. It's that constant inspiration to each other to be the best we can possibly become. Now, if we break up, uh, I didn't give enough. I must have, in some way, transgressed. Because why would my Shakti leave the perfect partner? I must have been an imperfect partner. Where did I fail? Mm -hmm. In which ways did I transgress? Mm -hmm. Now, how can I do better the next time? Breakups are education. Okay. This is an opportunity for introspection where I get to look at myself and see where can I do better the next time. Mm -hmm. Now, hookups and other frivolous relationships are an attempt for my loneliness to have in a relationship with your loneliness. They are not an inspiration for my divinity to have a relationship with your divinity. Okay. I'm just looking to pass time, and I'd like some inspiration, but I'm not willing to give 100%. So how can I expect to receive 100%? Hmm. So those are the, the nature of frivolous relationships. I don't know about morality. That's, a, that's an opinion. That's a, someone's judgment. But I can tell you, if I'm willing to give 100%, then I'm sure to find a partner who wants to give 100%. And together, we can make ourselves and remind ourselves that we are a divine couple getting together for the purpose of expressing divinity and remembering that all the time in every action. Very beautiful. We will do the other questions later, but before we end, I really want to discuss with you about the gender issues. Okay about the equality of men and women and how they were treated when uh, what is given in our Vedas about it. Well, in the Vedas we have Rishis and Rishipatnis. Mm -hmm. In the Vedas we have women seers. There are so many famous women seers who defeated the men in debate, 
who, who won accolades from all the, the population for their knowledge and for their inspiration. They even became goddesses. Mm -hmm. There are, uh, we worship the gods and the goddesses. True. In fact, in the Hindu Dharma, there is only uh, three brahmacharis. Mm -hmm. All the rest of the gods and goddesses are married. <laughs> there was Bhishma, Hanuma, and who is the third? I forgot. One more. And uh, uh, all of the gods and goddesses have partnerships to remind them that they're gods and goddesses. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, today, uh, because of society and actually our history, mm -hmm. uh, it, it became something less than that. Because in the old Vedic sculptures, in the old, in the Puranas even, we, we find that uh, both males and women were very lightly dressed. Yeah. They weren't clothed very, very much. They weren't all covered up. Yeah, I think even in our temples, if we see the old temples, we will see the sculpture which, which are very covered. Someone just sent me photos from Kajarajo. Uh -huh. <laughs> that they were, they, they, the whole community was almost naked. Mm -hmm. And it, these were not considered to be profane or they weren't pornographic. These were, this was the standard of the society. Actually, it was a, a period of time um, during the Muslim occupation where women were not safe, and so they started covering up more and more and more, and now we're breaking ourselves free from the, after the Muslim came the Victorian area, era, where modesty, a covering up was considered a, a, a standard of modesty. But it didn't mean that women were relegated to a lower position. Mm -hmm. Not in the least. Mm -hmm. We have uh, uh, many temples honoring women and honoring goddesses. Mm -hmm. And honoring the nature of women, for example, like Kamakya Temple. Uh, Kamakshi, uh, 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 many of the, the, the temples, uh, they honor women in all of their nature, in all of their glory. Mm. And they don't say that anything is profane or anything is uh, 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 off limits. It's, it's to be regarded as, as, as the, with the highest respect. When a, a, a young girl start, began her menstruation, then they, they made puja. Mm -hmm. It wasn't uh, uh, something that she should hide or feel.